Hello everyone. Welcome to the second episode of Mastering English Lit with Miss Jen. So I'm Miss Jen and today we are going to be carrying on with our discussion um, about the uh, GCSE English Lit assessment objectives. So if you've missed um, the first one on uh, that I did on the first assessment objective, um, go ahead and just check out the first episode um, and then you can come back to this one. So today we are looking at the second AO um, and the second AO is technically the most important out of the four assessment objectives only because it takes up um, the largest proportion in the overall weighting. So um, AO2 takes up 42.5% of the weighting. Um, so clearly this is a really important one to get right. So um, let's just read what this second AO is. So the second assess assessment objective states Analyze the language, form and structure used by a writer to create meanings and effects using relevant subject terminology where appropriate. So in a way, you can think of the second assessment objective as pretty much the summary of what any student should do for um, any kind of study of English literature, really. Uh, it's very much an encapsulating summary. Um, of literary analysis. Um, but I think there are three key parts to this assessment objective that we would benefit from just breaking down and understanding thoroughly. So the first part of this AO is about analysing language, form and structure. So let's first consider the word language. So really the expectation here is that we should be thinking about the use of language not only as a medium of communication, right, but rather the use of language as what we call tropes. And that means the figurative or metaphorical use of language. So a good example for this is actually a, uh, a joke that, uh, you know, I think a lot of English educators would be familiar with. And so that is um, when a teacher says, um, oh, sorry, when the writer says the curtain is blue, the teacher immediately comes up with, you know, this interpretation of how the curtain symbolizes the writer's sadness, right? And lack of will to carry on. Um, I love this joke because, you know, there's a grain of truth to it. Um, and, Ultimately, it's about reading between the lines, right? So reading um, for meaning um, in perhaps the language that is poetically or stylistically wrought, right? Um, and we'll, we'll come back to we'll come back to um, this point when we look at um, the part the phrase creating meaning later. But, but yes, but it's about thinking, um, thinking about language as tropes, okay? Um, and then there's form and structure. And so I think it's perhaps uh, more helpful for students to think about this as form versus structure. And so I say versus, not because there really is some kind of um, 
a combative relationship between these two terms, but because a lot of students tend to just conflate these two terms. Um, that that's not something that I think um, is is uh, is advised. So, in a nutshell, I would I, I would say try to think about form as being more relevant to poetry, and structure as being most uh, or more relevant to prose. And so this is not a hard and fast rule, by the way, guys. You know, you can talk about structure in poetry and vice versa, form for, for prose. But um, but when it comes to perhaps something like an unseen textual analysis, I think it's it's more useful to, th- to, to align these respective terms with, you know, um, the respective modes. So when we're thinking about form, really what should come to mind um is genre um poetic types and of course you know the visual appearance of the text right so when we're thinking about genre and poetic types um you know things like the dramatic monologue um or the lyric which is um supposedly shorter um or the epic um the ballad villanelle even the haiku that's that's an example of poetic form and when it comes to the visual appearance um obviously there is the there is the there is a dedicated type of poetry um where the visual appearance of it is very prominent right um uh, and that's that's called concrete poetry concrete poetry um and actually if you're familiar with the metaphysical poet george herbert you would know that um he's written some pretty famous concrete poems um so i'd really encourage you to look him up um and look up his poetry to uh just get a get a brief idea of what what you know what visual appearance um what visual appearance in poetry could 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 look like right so but of course it doesn't just doesn't just have to be limited to to um like poems that are shaped like butterflies or candles or what have you but um perhaps you know even something like commenting on um the blank spaces um the buffers or the gaps you know between quatrains stanzas um all of this would fall under your analysis of form um and when it comes to structure it's not necessarily about what you see um but it's more about just kind of your sense of the sequence of events um the flow um of uh, a speaker's um thoughts um the shifts in perspective right so say for example if the passage opens with um the narrator just commenting on you know what he sees um what he sees from a bird's eye view um you know kind of he sees down below him people looking like specks right etc and then only to have uh, only for the passage to end with um the narrator just kind of uh you know, descending down the hill and then being more level um, with, you know, all of the people that he saw um, looking like specks um, maybe just moments ago. And so that's like a zoom in, zoom out kind of shift in perspective that um, would also fall under analysis of structure. So the second main part of this assessment objective is 
creating meanings and effects. Um, and so specifically, it's, again, analyzing the language form and structure used by a writer to create meanings and effects. So it's really important that we remember that the language form and structure is not an, uh, an end in itself, it's a means to an end, right? And that end is very much the creation of these meanings and effects. So what does meanings mean, right? So meaning is usually about just kind of the hidden message um, behind a work, right? Um, and of course, you know, that brings up that um, tendency of uh, perhaps reading between the lines or overreading, um, you know, perspective depending. But it's really about thinking, um, thinking deeply about what the text is trying to say. Um, usually what it's trying to say in relation to something like the human condition, um, human nature, um, the society, right, the state of society, um, or the world, right? And usually meanings would relate to themes. They would relate to perhaps some of the broader common themes that we tend to always see in works of literature. So um, certain ones off the top of my head would be, say, life versus death, or maybe just the meaning of life, appearance versus reality, the power of nature versus that of man or civilization, the nature of love um, or other emotions, and perhaps the contrast between urban and rural spaces, right? Or the city versus suburbia. And, and there are a lot more themes um, that we can find in literature. Um, obviously, we can't cover all of them here, but these are perhaps just some of the most common ones that could maybe get you thinking about what creating meaning could be about. And then the word effects um, is really about your emotional response to the passage, right? Um, so usually whenever we read a passage or we read a poem, um, we're bound to feel something. Um, you know, it, it, it could be it could be very minuscule, um, it could be overwhelming, but um, most of the time we're, we're bound to we're bound to have some kind of emotional response or reaction to a text, right? Um, even even confusion qualifies as um, you know an emotional response, and that is also an effect that results from a text, right? So. You know, it's worth considering uh, whether or not you feel perhaps pensive, right, after reading a poem, or does it make you feel melancholic, sad, um, or angry, indignant, you know, about a certain cause? Or do you feel relieved, right? Um, or actually, do you, do you feel happy after reading a, uh, a work, right? And that's perfectly possible. Um, there are poems that uh, are not moody and morose. Um, but yeah, so, so it's really thinking about kind of your asking yourself, how do you feel after reading a poem or an excerpt? And so it's actually okay to state any kind of emotional response, provided that you support with evidence, right? So evidence would mean textual references. <coughs> yes. So now we move on to the third and final part of this assessment objective, and that is using relevant, <coughs> excuse me, using relevant subject terminology where appropriate, right? So 
Um, for those of you who are English literature students, and I assume that if you're listening to this, you are, um, you know, of course you would know subject terminology for English would refer to literary devices, rhetorical devices, um, words about poetic form or narrative techniques, right? And so usually for literary devices, which um, I can talk about in depth um, going forward for this podcast, usually literary devices, they, um, you can kind of think about them in, in three main categories, right? So there's semantic devices, there's syntactical devices and sonic devices. So uh, the three S's when it comes to these lit devices. So semantic, obviously, it's about um, just meaning, right? So um, actually most tropes, the word I used earlier, so most tropes say like simile, metaphor, um, personification, etc. These would all relate to um, kind of how the author manipulates the meaning of words to create, you know, further um, ideas or, or messages. Um, syntactical, right, so that's derived from the word syntax, is about how words are positioned in lines or sentences, right, word order, etc. Um, and then sonic, of course, that means uh, sound words, right, so sound words or even consonants, right, or vowels, and how um, frequently um, or, you know, what pattern do they appear in, right? Now, when it comes to rhetorical devices, um, I think it's um, it's important that we we use rhetorical devices um, only when it's appropriate, right? So, um, for example, you know, when you think about the Aristotelian um, pillars of persuasion, you've got ethos, um, pathos, logos, etc. Um, and of course, you know, you have some more Latinate rhetorical terms, um, you know, such as say like. Um, uh, anadiplosis, for example, and that's a repetition of um, repetition of a word um, um, at the beginning of the next clause or line um, that appears um, at the end of the previous line. That's a very convoluted explanation, but but yeah, but uh, something like anadiplosis um, or anaphora, um, a favourite one, um, or you know things like. Um, Paralepsis, for example. So, so these polysyllabic terms, um, you know, that are Latinate in origin, usually they tend to be rhetorical devices. And I'd say I would advise students to use these sparingly and only when um, really necessary, right? And and of, of course, you know, earlier on, I uh, spoke about poetic form. Um, and so, in addition to those types that I mentioned, such as dramatic monologue, lyric, ballad, etc., etc., um, it's also important that we uh, actually think about meter, scansion, um, and rhythm, and obviously also rhyme when it comes to poetry. Right? So scansion is, um, you know, basically almost like a science in itself. Um, you know, how you scan a poem. Um, how do you? discern its metrical units, right, um, its rhythmic foot, etc, etc. Um, all of that actually requires um, extensive study and so also um, ne- necessary, I think, is um, it's definitely necessary for perhaps any English literature student who wants to do well um, in your GCSE or going forward, your A-levels, or even if you choose to do the International Baccalaureate System, okay? So, 
Um, and then finally, you've got narrative techniques. And so uh, some of the perhaps more familiar terms would be um, omniscient perspective, right? Uh, and, you know, branches of it. So limited amnesians, multiple amnesians, first, third person, um, and narration, etc., etc. Flashback, flash forward, um, within stream of consciousness, etc. Right? So um, there are other many other terms, actually, when it comes to narrative techniques. Um, but when it comes to um, when it comes to perhaps unseen textual analysis, um, it's probably not always possible to identify, for example, whether or not a passage that's given um, is, say, for example, at the middle of a text, right? Uh, at the middle of, you know, the entire text. Obviously, you know, if you've studied the text, you should know that. Um, so, so technically we should know, but... Um, but, you know, if, for example, if we're looking at just an unseen passage, right, um, then in that case, um, it's probably not as possible to be able to say, like, pin down where it's from um, in the wider entire text. But in any case, uh, that pretty much wraps up our discussion of the uh, second assessment objective, which is also the most important one amongst the four.